Today's commentary is about the collective state of fear that is gripping our country. It's entitled, From COVID to Climate Hysteria, The Reign of Terror Continues. It begins with a quotation uh, from Michael Crichton, a novel that he wrote back in the 1990s. And it reads as follows. They just posture and pontificate. Nobody tests. Nobody does field research. Nobody dares to solve the problems because the solution might contradict your philosophy. And for most people, clinging to beliefs is more important than succeeding in the world. There's a mythical threat driving young people to madness as they glue themselves to floors, cars, and even dinosaurs to protest fossil fuels. Some of us actually recall when the phrase climate change was called global warming. But what most of us do not remember is that the former phrase was once called inadvertent climate modification back in the progressive days of the 1960s and 1970s. Global warming took hold in the late 1970s in reference to the fallacy that the planet is warming due to man-made greenhouse gas emissions. That came after a 40-year period of global cooling during which many eminent scientific experts were convinced that we were entering another ice age unless CO2 emissions were radically reduced. But it is now commonly referred to as climate change because Marxists could not blame global warming for earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, or the flu. So they just blamed capitalism instead. The stark reality is that climate change falls far short of describing anything. It is nothing more or less than a leftist political movement which terrorizes the hearts and minds of young people like Greta Thunberg. The most tragic consequence of the climate change agenda or industry is not rising sea levels, suicidal walruses, oceans full of plastic, vanishing coral reefs, melting polar ice caps, or polar bear extinction, all of which are purely fictional. It is instead the despair and dread engendered in mentally troubled young people into which they are indoctrinated from the time they leave the womb. Recent weeks have witnessed teens with climate anxiety disorder defacing priceless works of art with mashed potatoes and tomato soup and adhering themselves to cars, floors, and even dinosaur fossils. Now, of course, it is entirely incoherent how any of this is related to reduction of CO2 emissions, the threat of which has been repeatedly and thoroughly debunked by actual scientists like Greenpeace founder Dr. Patrick Moore. Here's a quotation. Our addition of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere is fertilizing all the plant life on Earth, including all the forests and all the food crops on Earth. And we have something like a 30% average increase in the growth of plants over the past 50 years because of the CO2 that we put into the atmosphere. CO2 is the primary food for life, and along with water, plants make sugar, mainly glucose, which is a carbohydrate, which is the basis for all energy for all of life, beginning with the process of photosynthesis. If people just understood that basic fact, and the fact that CO2 is now lower than it has been virtually in the history of the Earth, because life has taken it out and deposited it in sediments called fossil fuels, and carbonaceous rocks like limestone and marble and chalk, all of which contain carbon, that used to be in the atmosphere or dissolved in the ocean where they were absorbed by living creatures to make themselves. 
Over time, those creatures have fallen to the bottom of the ocean when they die or have been buried in the atmosphere and the oceans. So we come along after four billion years of this and start burning some of the fossil fuels and finally start putting some of the carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere where it came from in the first place. Carbon dioxide is actually the main fertilizer and building block for life. The climate change narrative is not just fake news, it's fake science. That is a fact, and I will put my reputation, 45 years as a scientist studying these subjects, on the line. I don't get paid by the government to make up stories so politicians can scare the electorate into voting for them on the climate issue. In his brilliant book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, Dr. Moore completely disarms every single popular climate scare myth and in the process states some important truths about our planet. The first of these is that the Earth has actually warmed one to two degrees over the past century, which is about as long as we've been collecting such data. Furthermore, most of the world's climate is produced by the oceans, where temperatures are obviously challenging to measure. As a result, we are unlikely to know much about global temperatures until such time as we can properly study the ocean's temperatures for many more years or even ensuing decades. The Earth's climate actually cools every time a volcano erupts. Did you know that? Sometimes for years. Michael Schellenberger expresses a similar opinion in his book entitled Apocalypse Never, Why Environmental Alarmism Hurts Us All, saying, what's really behind the apocalyptic environmentalism? Their powerful financial interests, their desires for status and power, but most of all, their desire among supposedly secular people for transcendence. This spiritual impulse can be natural and healthy, but in preaching fear without love and guilt without redemption, the new religion is failing to satisfy our deepest psychological and existential needs." End quote. But there is no proven scientific link between CO2 emissions and temperature or even climate. Even if there were, the goal of reducing CO2 emissions would require the entire planet to stop consuming all fossil fuels, and then it might take centuries before any decrease in greenhouse gases is noticeable, since they remain in the atmosphere for hundreds of years. And there is still a paucity of evidence that extreme weather events like hurricanes, floods, cyclones, and the like are more extreme today than in the past. This is in fact a false mantra that mass media and climate activists have hummed so religiously that it is now routinely accepted as truth. The effectiveness of this technique was perfected by the Nazis. Joseph Goebbels put it this way, a lie told once remains a lie, but a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. As for electric cars, they consume electricity derived from fossil fuels. Tesla factories are powered by natural gas, not Mr. Musk's inefficient Obama stimulus loan funded solar panels. Lithium mines scar the earth in far off countries where children dig the toxic element out of the earth poisoning themselves so that virtue-signaling Canadians can power their expensive Teslas. Another inconvenient truth is that the carbon footprint, another fiction, of an electric car is only slightly less than one powered by fossil fuels. So the point of all this is that none of it is about the climate. It is more about controlling humans. 
3 billion people worldwide do not have enough energy to sustain meaningful life, which means that we need more rather than less energy. People who have no food or shelter could not care less about the climate. As Michael Crichton put it, quote, the biggest cause of environmental destruction is poverty. Starving people can't worry about pollution, they worry about food, end quote. The reality is nothing on earth generates as much energy, food, health, and overall human flourishing as fossil fuels. According to one eminent expert, one gallon of gasoline is 50 times more potent than the best Tesla lithium battery. And deaths attributed to extreme weather events have been reduced by 98% in the past century due to technological advances and human adaptation, a trait singular to our species, but which climate hysterics entirely discount. And even during the most recent hurricanes in Florida, the death toll was astonishingly low given the storm's ferocity. But the green Marxists who drive this agenda do not care what alternatives are offered. They are zealots who simply attack things like natural gas, fracking, and the most carbon-neutral, efficient, and sustainable energy source of all, nuclear. And this is because the war is not really being waged against fossil fuels, but rather against humanity. They say that human action causes climate change, and so humans must be controlled. That sounds rather like Marxism. Right now, scientists are in exactly the same position as Renaissance painters commissioned to make the portrait the patron wants done. And if they are smart, they'll make sure their work subtly flatters the patron. Not overly, but subtly. This is not a good system for research into those areas of science that affect policy. Even worse, the system works against problem solving. Because if you solve a problem, your funding ends. All that's got to change. It's a quotation from Michael Crichton's book, State of Fear. Curiously, or perhaps purposefully, the most vociferous voices advancing climate hysteria are often seen jetting off to exotic locales to lecture us about our CO2 consumption. Unfortunately, we are seeing global energy supplies decline as a Marxist green agenda moves leaders like our own Justin Trudeau to suppress domestic energy production and refuse to supply it to nations in need like Germany and Japan. The greatest danger to Canada is not our climate. It is our federal government. Escalating carbon taxes, new nitrogen fertilizer restrictions, inflation, and supply chain issues have all conspired to make it much more difficult for most Canadian families to pay their monthly bills. It is into this climate of fear that Canada's COVID con artist creeps. Dr. Theresa Tam, whose credentials as a climate expert are specious, has just released a climate report that is little more than a regurgitation of alarmist theories and dubious arguments. Now, Dr. Tam, despite her crowning ineptitude as Canada's chief public health officer, is apparently an extraordinary polymath, expert not only in infectious diseases, but also in global warming science. And so she was thus able to convert her annual report on the state of national public health into a 105-page manifesto on climate change, entitled Mobilizing Public Health Action on Climate Change in Canada. 
As has become expected of documents produced by this Trudeau government, it calls for increased government control, dressed up in word salad progressive rubbish and ideology. According to Tam, without swift and urgent action, climate change, quote, poses catastrophic risks for present and future generations and the livability of the planet. The report claims that cities like New York and Shanghai, neither of which are in Canada, may be underwater within our lifetimes. So that brought to mind this 1932 headline, Melting Glaciers Would Flood Earth's Big Cities. It reads as follows, Washington, 2nd of May, 1932. Just raise the average temperature of the Earth two or three degrees, and you can bid goodbye to all the big cities on Earth. Glaciers will melt and the oceans will rise. And one could still be dry above the 155th floor in cities with skyscrapers, but all about would be the bounding waves. New York, London, Paris, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Washington, Shanghai, all gone. In order to save the planet from this imminent threat, our vaunted and bloated public health bureaucracy must take, quote, assertive and effective action across jurisdictions and sectors, end quote. To put this into perspective, COVID-19, which made Tam arguably the most powerful bureaucrat in Canada for over two years, now rates no better than an appendix to her report. But now there is this other alleged crisis, the management of which demands expansion of her power over virtually every aspect of our lives, literally everything under the sun. Tam notes that the severity of climate change's effect upon health is influenced by, quote, structural systems of oppression, end quote, such as colonization, racism, ableism, and heteronormativity. Citing articles from the American Journal of Public Health with titles like We Need Environmental Health Justice Research and Action for LGBTQ Plus People and Queering Environmental Justice, Unequal Environmental Health Burden on the LGBTQ Plus Community, Tam laments that climate adaptation efforts have not focused sufficiently upon the experiences of this victim group. Tam then expands upon her incredible intellectual genius to lecture us about the law, arguing that, quote, concepts of justice are also important for climate action, end quote. She proceeds to argue for indigenous environmental justice, which requires, quote, a concurrent focus on indigenous knowledge systems, legal orders, governance, and concepts of justice, end quote. This focus upon justice also includes prioritizing youth indoctrination so that our kids all become crazed climate activists like gruesome Greta. Public health must therefore expand the federal government's mandate to anything even remotely related to health promotion, including greening playgrounds, supporting various Indigenous projects, public education programs about climate change risks, and conducting climate change assessments. The report even proposes new mental health programs to address the climate anxiety that the government itself and its mass media have largely created. Ultimately, this is not about a virus or even about the sun monster. It is instead about ever-expanding governmental control over every aspect of our lives. Nor is this new. It is all repackaged Marxism, fueled by a perpetual state of fear. I'd like to close with a quotation from H.L. Uh, Mencken, which reads as follows. The whole aim of practical politics 
is to keep the populace alarmed, and hence clamorous to be led to safety, by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. <laughs>